Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Scrub Life, a podcast about surgical technology. My name is Chris Blevins, and I am so happy to be with all of you today. The first thing I want to say is happy National Surgical Technologist Week. This third week in September is a week set aside to celebrate all of the amazing things that surgical technologists do, not just for our community and for our hospitals, but especially for our patients. I couldn't be more proud to be a CST and have just met so many incredible rock stars, both in this profession that are still behind the Mayo and those in education um, and everywhere in between. So a heartfelt congratulations. I hope that you are celebrated um, in incredible ways, and I hope that you're very proud of all of the amazing work that you guys do. And in that frame of mind, I have the perfect guest for National Surge Tech Week. So it is my absolute honor to present my discussion with Kevin Craycraft. He is the president of the Association of Surgical Technologists and also the program director for Bluegrass Community and Technical College in Kentucky. So without further ado, here's my awesome conversation with one of the best in the business, Kevin Craycraft. All right. Well, hi, Kevin. Thank you for uh, for letting me interview you and pick your brain tonight. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So first thing I want to say is obviously happy National Surgical Technologist Week. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I know. Perfect timing. Um, I couldn't imagine a better guest for for this particular week, uh, especially, you know, as we start and hopefully all of the hospitals uh, get to celebrate their surgical techs. Um, I know sometimes it varies from from uh, hospital to hospital, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> I wish we could get them all on one page to where we'd have more uniform celebration of this week. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so, you know, I researched it because, gosh, I didn't know how long, you know, National Surge Tech Week had even been a thing. And I realized that AST started it back in 1984, which to me just seems like that's huge. I had no idea that we were celebrating it as long as we have been. Um, Do you know anything about how it came about or... In all honesty, I do not. When I kind of started getting involved with the national picture, um, it wasn't being promoted at the sites I was working at as much at that time. There would be a little bit of a blip about it in our hospital newsletter or uh, management would mention it during one of our meetings. But there was really no big celebration about it. Yeah. And so that really just came about more so as far as a bigger celebration in my area. Now, like you said, it varies from area to area. But in Lexington, they started making a little bigger deal out of it, I would say, going into more of the 2000s. Right. Yeah. Where they started actually having some gifts and some giveaways and some true celebrations of National Search Tech Week. And rightfully so, by God. You know, we deserve there a mug a or a t shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been there, got the t shirt to prove it. <laughs> well, so can we just talk a little bit about your background specifically, like as a surgical technologist? Like, how did you even get started in this field to begin with? Well, I guess I'm going to have to blame that on my brothers. 
Awesome. I have a, I have two brothers. Uh, they both have passed away at this point. Absolutely. However, my oldest brother became a diabetic when he was age 12. Yeah. And I'm uh, about five years younger than him. So I was about seven at that time. And I basically got involved with, he'd let me give him shots and stuff. Yeah. Well, then my middle brother, which I was three years younger than, um, actually <laughs> had a accident when he was 12, in which case he lost uh, his lower right leg, amputation right below the knee. Goodness. Well, that got me way interested in what the heck they were doing to my brother. Right. And so I kind of started looking into more of the, or I guess, exposure to it and the scar tissue and his healing and all that he went through with the, he had like 30 surgeries in a matter of three days type thing and wow. heart stopped a couple times and they pretty much saved him over and over until finally they couldn't save the leg. And so we went through a lot of recovery and PT when he got home. And so I used to help stretch out his stump and help keep it from getting scar tissue and things along that lines. And that just bubbled into, and at the same time, this is going to date me bad. There was a show on TV called Marcus Welby. Mm -hmm. Marcus Welby, MD. And he was a doctor that basically did house calls. And instead of doing it for the insurance payout or the money payout part of things, he was doing it because he had a heart and he just cared about people. And so it was kind of funny because he would take things in trade to treat some of his patients, so to speak. Yeah. And so between those events, I just got super interested in the science of the human body. And that led me into surge tech in the sense that I was in a healthcare uh, career program at the vocational school in my area. And I was actually going in to shoot a portable x-ray on a gallbladder. Oh, wow. When I looked over and I saw the table with all the instruments, and it was so cool. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a guy at heart, so when I looked over and saw the back table, I thought, well, that guy has all the toys. And the one with the most toys at the end wins. <laughs> well, he's right, of course. So I wanted the toys. <laughs> <laughs> And it just so happened the radiology or the tech, the rad tech that I was working with or shadowing at the time, her husband was in the program, the surgical technology program. Yeah. And I said, I want to do that. Yeah. And a couple days later, she had made some phone calls. And when I came back in to shadow her, she said, you have an interview with the program coordinator. And as soon as you graduate high school, she might have a spot for you. Oh, my goodness. And so I went from graduation in June of 85 from high school to basically starting the program in July and have been doing it ever since. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Even, even to the point that the Surge Tech program I completed and graduated from back in 87, 88, I um, now teach. I'm actually the program coordinator really? for the program I graduated from. So on a map, I've made it nowhere. I'm in this <laughs> building. It's amazing the things I've accomplished and never got out of that building. Oh my! Well, <laughs> it's obviously just where you were meant to be then. Well, as a, so before we get into your role as an educator, was there a certain uh, like specialty of surgery that you really loved or um, I don't know. Do you have like a favorite part of the whole process? I would probably say that uh, I was basically team leader for neuro and peripheral vascular. Ah. 
And so I, I'd say neuro and peripheral vascular are definitely still my sweethearts. And uh, then I actually, when I went back to school, ended up working for a reconstruction group and kind of got into a lot of the plastics reconstruction. <laughs> and so those were sort of my three main areas. But um, they teased me at the hospital I worked at initially. My first job was in eyes. <laughs> because that's where the opening was exactly <laughs> <laughs> and so when that worked out i uh managed that i worked in eyes for probably about three months before they started moving me around to everything <laughs> because they teased all the time that i was the rodeo tech and what they meant by that was i i would take on any case anywhere anytime i didn't care and you can make it for at particular. least eight seconds. At least. You got it. <laughs> you got it. And I, so at that point, they started moving me around, and I ended up getting really involved with neuro and PVS. Man, that that uh, I really relate to that because I was a trauma scrub. Like, I loved big open bellies, but I also happened to be the low man on the totem pole. So when the lead tech for, uh, for eyes retired, um, I got, you know, I was told – Hey, guess what? You're it. Um, and you go and you go into a room where, you know, your patient's awake and it's bloodless and dark and quiet and you can't see a dadgum thing. And um, yeah, so uh, so I, uh, I I made my way through op, uh, ophthalmic surgery as well. So uh, kindred spirit. That's way. it. No doubt about it. And all those characteristics are right on target because uh, that was just a... Uh, a different environment when I first started compared to the things I ended up getting into. <laughs> it is, yeah. But that's the cool thing about our career field, right? I mean, you can go. Absolutely. Yeah, you can get elbow deep or you can be in a quiet, serene environment or, you know, kind of everything in between. <laughs> well, And I was, I'm kind of into that trauma also. I did some time with trauma at uh, University of Kentucky. So uh, it was always a trauma red was our thing and i always love that too yeah well um i don't find that at all surprising getting to know you <laughs> over the years what so. <laughs> i i imagine though that like being a utility player as it were and having experience in all of those things has helped you as an educator um, oh absolutely yeah like uh you know we have to lecture on so many different genres if you will of surgery and um, and, and they're expected to kind of know things, even if we didn't, you know, weren't behind the Mayo, uh, for those particular surgeries. So any little bit of experience helps, right? Oh, absolutely. The diversity of it definitely came into play when I came back to do teaching because that was never really on my radar Yeah. until, uh, <laughs> until it was on my until radar. <laughs> I've heard that. I think I've heard that from so many educators, you know. So, I mean, it's a great segue. Like, what got you into education um, to begin with? Well, back when I was a, I guess, 18-year-old sitting in the class the first time around, I uh, said something smart aleck because that was very much my nature. No. I am one of my languages. I'm okay in English. I'm really good in sarcasm and smart ass. <laughs> um, but uh -huh. I was actually in the class and the instructor was telling us about the AST and all these things and how all the accreditation and MB and everything worked together at the time as LCC. Uh -huh. uh, and so I smart eloquently said to the class, I'll run this show one day. Oh, my. 
And uh, everybody laughed and said, well, if anyone in here will. And so years go by. I scrub cases, happy little camper doing my thing, not thinking one thing about really getting that involved. Yeah. And I get a call from my uh, instructor, uh, Barbara Hoskins. And she says, Kevin, there's a opening out at the school. They need a program coordinator. I said, well, sure. I'll throw in my hat. I don't really know. I, I'm not that pleased with the product that was coming out of the program at the time because mm-hmm. I was doing precepting and they just couldn't answer my questions, which meant they got to watch me a lot. <laughs> and um, if they answered the questions, I asked all of them three questions. One would be anatomy, one would be sterile technique, and one would be instrumentation. If you got two of the three, you got to do more. If you got none of the three, you didn't get to do much. <laughs> you get to watch today, and I'll ask you three more questions tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, so I was that kind of preceptor. But she called and said, hey, throw your name in the hat. I threw my name in the hat, and interview went extremely well. And I went into that first day. They, uh, they hired me. This was in 2002. <laughs> and so I'd had probably ballpark 15 years of experience in the OR. And I thought, well, I know this stuff. (laughs) And then I stepped up in front of the class and looked out like a scared dog and thought, oh, my God, what have I gotten into? (laughs) And slowly but surely, it became my environment. I basically I'm not a teacher that sticks behind the podium and hi, class. This is what we're covering today. Yeah. Um, Not my style. Uh, As you've gotten to know me. I'm the same way in the classroom. Yeah. I tell the stories, I cover the material, and I do it in a fashion that hopefully is relatable to the students. And from what I've seen over, this is, uh, I've started my 20th year of teaching and being program uh, coordinator or director, whichever term. Uh, And it's been going extremely well, and it kind of worked out because when I took the job, the individuals that helped precept me we're now moving up into sort of the management positions. Yeah. So when I needed clinical sites, I would call them up on their personal phones and say, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) I need this. And it kind of all fell together extremely well that way. And so I, uh, basically took it from there. Actually my first day on the job, I showed up and they gave me a key and we got off the elevator at the end of the hall and the hall's probably, let's say six, seven, eight rooms from the elevator was my office. And they pointed at the door and said, here's your key. And, uh, there's your office. Good luck. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds very much, familiar. There, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. There wasn't a whole lot of prep or mentorship going on there. Right. The individual that used to run the program basically up and, uh, booked pretty quickly. And so there was no lectures or anything ready to go. So I spent that whole first year up until three in the morning putting together lectures, hopefully Mm -hmm. enough to cover the hours for the next day. Yeah. And basically uh, started rolling with it from there. (laughs) So you scrub teched it is what you did. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We have, you know, we walk into operations that we have never done. Surgeons, we've never seen a patient bleeding out and we wing it. 
And mm-hmm. so, yeah, uh, it's the way I started my education career. So it's not that surprising that yours was it's that way too. The classic <laughs> adapt and overcome. <laughs> I love it. Oh gosh. Well, so were you, I guess, were you always a part of AST? Um, even I know we try to get our students super involved and, and many of them continue to be involved throughout their whole career, but there are some that kind of, you know, fade away um, in between, uh, um, you know, CE cycles, but. Sadly um, enough. Yes, unfortunately, and we'll talk about that. But, <laughs> but I mean, how, what was your experience like with AST from the beginning? Were you well, involved with them as a young scrub or. Or what? I, I, I almost have to answer that question with a yes <laughs> to all of the things you just described. Yeah. I been a CST and an AST member since the day I got into the program mm-hmm. or actually graduated from the program. Um, no, I wasn't heavily involved. In all honesty, my first 10 years as a tech, that was enough for me. Yeah. And then over time, I've always had a theory in life. And that is, if you don't like the way things are going, get involved and change it. Yeah. And so I kind of slowly but surely stayed in contact and kind of did the charter or the chapter thing there for a while and attended some of those meetings. Um, Then slowly but surely worked into, I really got more involved when I got into education. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because I started seeing the curriculum. I started seeing the textbook. I started seeing some things that I thought could be better or could be presented differently. And so um, I really didn't get involved on the national or state level until really about 2007-ish is when I first started getting into, um, and I did things backwards. I got involved with national before I got involved with the state. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The state was always being run out of Louisville, which is about an hour away from my hometown. And so I would... uh, attend but i really wasn't looking to sit on an office uh position so to speak yeah and so i uh slowly but surely got into education got more interested in being involved wanted to represent and mentor my students as much as anything towards being involved and having a voice in the profession because if you're just going to complain about things that's not going to solve any problems if you're going to complain and actually get involved then you might be able to help the issue yeah, or and you so, just become the issue uh, if, you never, if you never yeah. get a solution. Yeah, I agree. Right. I, I hate – don't present all problems. Come to me with a problem and a solution. Yeah. And so I started thinking of it more that way. And in 2006, I got appointed to the Program Assessment Exam Committee, which was one of our outcome base uh, for accreditation years back before it went to the MB and the CST exam. Mm -hmm. And so at that time I got involved with that, that got me a little bit involved with some of the folks. And the next thing you know, I got a offer to get on the education and professional standards committee. I think that's the best committee in AST. I agree wholeheartedly. I think their members are kind of some of the coolest people in the world. I'm just saying. I, it's one of my favorite, but don't let the other committees know. I'm too, I'm biased just because I'm on the daggum thing. So I can say that, but I digress. No, it is. It's, I mean, all of the standing committees for AST do so much work. And I think that it's easy to not see the the depth of the ocean, if you will, if you're not involved. 
Correct. And it's, uh, yeah, there's so many working parts to AST as I've gotten to kind of know, you know, what do you think, what do you think your, I guess, obviously president's going to be a pretty big role, but like from a work standpoint, where did you, where do you feel like you made the biggest difference? Um, Cause you were education committee. What other committees were you on? Uh, well, that one kind of had some subcommittees at the time as far as core curriculum and um, some of the guidelines and standards. And so I started seeing a whole lot more of the policy side of things at that point when I was on the Ed Committee. Yeah. And so from there, I served on the Ed Committee from, I guess it was 2007, I think out somebody's term and then did a term out on my own. So I was there from 2007 to 2015 with 2014 to 15 being the year that I chaired the committee. Awesome. So I mentored a lot of folks, kind of got more people involved. I would say really some of the most enjoyable work that I did was really on that committee with regard to standards and CEs. Mm Mm-hmm and reviewing the CE policies, reviewing the CEs being offered, um, making sure they do apply and actually give us continuing education, not give us old education. Right. And so that's probably, I think, uh, writing the standards and being involved with core curriculum was probably some of my bigger task on there. <laughs> now, ironically, I the year I chaired it, actually the last two years, I was mentoring two of our other board members currently with David Alfaro was on there with me and Joe Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. And I mentored both of those folks through the Ed committee's part of things as I was finishing up and they were in the middle of terms. And so I never really got involved with the SALC, the state leadership uh, committee, mm-hmm. state assembly leadership committee, or with bylaws a whole lot. But in 15, when I was finishing my terms on the Ed committee, I, uh, decided that I heard somewhere that no one had ever run for board from the Ed Committee and won. And I then I followed up on that and found out that no one had ever tried. So I thought (laughs) there's one reason, right? That's a reason that you can't win. (laughs) If you're not in the game, it's it's definitely a loss. Yeah. And so I decided in 2015, actually down in your home state of Tejas, that uh, in San Antonio, I ran for the board and uh, came from the floor and ended up getting elected for my first term as a board of director. That's awesome. <laughs> and so that was uh, quite the transition just right there because the yeah. committee work is a whole lot different than the board work. What are some and of the differences, like out of curiosity? In all honesty, I think the committees work harder Yeah. and the board does more supervisory. Mm. And so we look at everything that's being done by the committees, but we're not doing as much of the footwork. Yeah. And so that was a big difference from what I was used to because on the Ed Committee, I'm a workhorse at heart. Yeah. And so when it's time to get things done, it's time to get things done. When it's time to play, it's time to play. And I put the same amount of effort into both those items. (laughs) Hence why the Ed Committee is one of the best committees. I'm just As you've seen on some other posts out there in the world, I lived a pretty full life long before I got involved with all this. Yeah. And so uh, I've done some crazy things in my life, and uh, 
So when I say I'm ready to play, I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had some really good times. And at the same time, we had some really, uh, I don't want to say heated arguments, but we had some vigorous debates sure. while I was on the committee. And I've had some on the board. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think it, I'm not, not into groupthink. Yeah. I want everybody expressing their opinions and then we can mash those all together and come up with good ideas. Well, I think also one of the things that makes AST and all of the, you know, I've been lucky to be a part of, of several things in a small way. And gosh, there are some people with some passion. And, you know, we teach our students to be advocates for the patient to stay, you know, to stand there and to say things when they see contaminations or they see something that's not correct. And, and I feel like we as educators have to walk that walk. And so Absolutely. when we are in these leadership positions, like it's our job to advocate for what we think is going to be best for, you know, our colleagues. And so I wouldn't think that being on the board of director or um, in any other administrative role uh, would be different, right? Absolutely. There is no doubt about it. We have a lot of passionate folks there and we all believe that our ideas need to be heard and that's why we're there. And so I, uh, fully believe that that is exactly where we come from with regard to the passion. Yeah. I am extremely passionate about the profession. It's all I've known. It's not been a job. It's been a career. I've been in it since I'm 18 and I'm not ashamed to say I've got 54 years under my belt and I've been doing this since I was 18 years old. Oh my gosh. I love it. Since you were a baby. <laughs> Absolutely. It's all I've ever known is to be an advocate for my patient be an advocate for my profession yeah. and I have a bad habit of using that term my because <laughs> it's really our yeah. but when I think about the profession I very much try to relate it that I'm going to believe I'm not the only one that's walked the path and so when I think about representing I think I'm representing others that have done the same things that I have done whether we faded away and wasn't involved for a little while or if we were involved up to our ears the whole time or however that played out, yeah. um, I'm really big about the profession itself. And in all honesty, I would say part of why I'm in the position I'm in today as the ASC president is because I want to leave a footprint on the profession that left a big footprint on me. Yeah. Well, so we're going to take just a couple of minute break. Um and we'll pause here because I definitely want to delve into your jump from board of director to VP and now Mr. President. So, All right. yeah, so we will be right back. All right, Mr. Craig Graff, so we're back. So, the the jump from board of director to running for vice president to me that seems um i don't know my anxiety is already kind of going through the roof just thinking about it and it's not even me so like <laughs> what made you what made you do that was it see an issue solve an issue just like it did when you ran for board of director to an extent, it was a little bit of that and a little bit of, I hate to use the term, there was a bit of a leadership void Yeah. Um, due to some people resigning and some uh, board members passing away. It seemed like we had a void there that uh, I don't want to, and this is going to sound terrible anyway I say it, but I'll say it anyhow. 
I, I'm extremely confident. I'm not arrogant because arrogant means I'm better than others. I'm not better than others, but I'm extremely confident in what I bring to the table. And so I decided at that time that looking around at those that were eligible for the position, I, this sounds terrible. I felt I was better than them. I felt that I could do a better job than them. And so I took that leap. Now I'll tell you the anxiety you're feeling. I can't tell you how much I had. <laughs> yeah. It was a large package of anxiety. Actually, as soon as the uh, journal came out that announced that I was running for VP, I heard from two or three of uh, the past presidents. And each one of them called me and said, so what is it that makes you so special? Oh, my. Yeah. That you can step from one term on board a director up to VP. Right. And then I listed out the things I had done. I had done the egg committee. I had done a lot of work with the state assembly. I kind of got involved with the state assembly. I guess it was a uh, around 2008. I got involved with the state assembly on the legislative committee. And then I got board of director in 2014. And so I started being more involved at every level. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I could do the job, that I had the experience, I had the years as a practitioner, I had the years as an educator, and I felt like I could represent the membership as much as anything, as well or better than others. And so, not to be overly confident, I felt I could handle the job. Yeah. And I felt I could do good things for us. And so uh, after talking to the former presidents and I laid out some of my, I remember one conversation in particular, she asked me that question and uh, I said, well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've listed out all these things. And she said, well, you're more qualified to step up to vice president than when I ran for president. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, well, I've just taken a little different path than some people. Mm -hmm. But I also am not a believer in camping out in the sense of I didn't want to do every position on the board. Yeah. I wanted to do the positions at which I could contribute the most to the profession. And it constantly takes me back to that footprint. I want to make this profession better tomorrow than it was today for all the members and all the folks that have walked in my shoes. Yeah. I, it's one of the challenges I put on my students on a daily basis. I tell them from the very beginning, I expect you to be better tomorrow than you were today and the day after the bar moves up. Yeah. And so I hold myself to the same. And that's what sometimes when I'm doing some of the mentoring with other people from a committee on the board and so forth, that's sort of still my same motto that we are doing this for the profession and for the membership. So be better tomorrow than you were today and whatever that takes. And sometimes I'll tell you, it takes a lot of effort. It, it takes a lot of involvement. It takes a lot of doing some research that you don't have to do, but I like to do because I want to know what has happened in the past mm -hmm. so that I can improve it for the future. Well, and you know what else I think it takes? I think sometimes it just takes the courage to say yes. Absolutely. And just put yourself out there because that to me is super scary. Um, and and I think sometimes just having the courage to say, I'm going to put myself in uncomfortable situations because my heart's in the right place. 
Um, and I think that there are amazing doors that open sometimes when you do that. So absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. And I really think that, uh, when I stepped up to that vice president role, I embraced a lot more of what was happening as an organization. Right. The bigger picture. Is that? Oh yeah. Yeah. There is no doubt about it. Well, so then, so from, from a four year term as vice president to president, um, is that almost an expected path? Um, or did you have to kind of give it some serious consideration as to whether or not, you know, that was something you'd want to take on? I would guess that it's sort of expected just because of eligibility issues. But in all honesty, it was something I really had to think hard about Mm -hmm. because it's a whole different uh, time constraint on one's life. Since I've got into the position, I've learned even more than what I expected. (laughs) Isn't that When you talk about courage, it's kind of funny. The first time I stepped up there to give a speech for running for board, I was so nervous. I think I timed my speech out. It was right at the three minutes allowed or something to that effect. I knocked that puppy out in about a minute 15 because I was so dang nervous. I ran through it. I just wanted it over. And it was so funny because after I won the election, another Texan walks up as I got through with my speech. Don Brazil passed me on my back as I walked by and says, good job, kid. And I thought, oh, that is okay. That's huge. And I had talked to Don for years (laughs) leading up to this. He said, when are you going to run for board? When are you going to run for board? So I finally gave that speech. Next day comes along. They announce that I won the position. I go to the first board meeting. And Don says, well, it's kind of amazing. I said, what's (laughs) that, Don? He said that you can give such a crappy speech and still get elected. <laughs> it's amazing. And he gave me a big old hug and he said, don't worry about it, kid. Everybody gets nervous. <laughs> and it was just so it. funny because when he said that to me, I thought I was going to fall out. Then when I stepped up to the vice president's speech, you get more time. Great. So I can run through that fast too. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I had to try to slow myself down. I had to try not to be emotional, not to be yeah. scared. Yeah. And this time when I gave the speech for president was, I think, the first time I actually stood at the microphone and felt comfortable. Oh, that's that's huge. I don't know if that come across to the folks out in front of me, (laughs) (laughs) because when you're standing there, the bright lights are in your face and you can barely see the feet of the first row. So you can't really get a lot of feedback from the uh, audience. Yeah, well, in some instances, as I have had, thank God. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a big plus. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man. Well, so Donnie Brazil is, you know, I walk into his shadow all the time. Um, I did not have the opportunity to meet him personally ever. But as, you know, director of his program, which it always will be. And, you know, there's even if other opportunities ever arise, like he is still the uh, the idea that I could maybe possibly make him proud for even a minute, even not knowing me, is a is a big deal. So the oh, fact absolutely. that he was proud of you, like that, to me, yeah, he's a. There are so many amazing people in this field, but his, you know, his spirit, I think, is always in. I try to keep that in mind in everything I do. So um, I just don't think you can go wrong in that. No, instance. Yeah. no. I when Don started recruiting me, I thought, wow. 
<laughs> I almost felt like Steve Martin from The Jerk. Oh, I'm a yes. somebody. I'm a somebody. <laughs> I'm somebody in the phone book. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm on Don's radar. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. There's a certain somebody with a bow tie that, uh, that did the same thing. So, yeah, I can relate. Well, so, so what now, Mr. President? Like, what is your vision for AST. I mean, good grief. We've just navigated through a pandemic. I know that it's not over, but um, I feel like at least we're educated while now, while still going through it. But I mean, what, what does the future look for you? What are the next, you know, the next two or four years? What is that? Um, I, uh, I would say my biggest platform, awareness, awareness, awareness. Mm-hmm. I have been angry for years, maybe even a bit bitter, <laughs> that nobody knows what a surge tech does or who we are. Right? Let's do a podcast. And so let's do a podcast. <laughs> Tell them. Heck, I'll even try, drop that down to another level. You mention anything about surgery or mention the word healthcare, and I'm in the line at Kroger's, I will give you a spiel. Yes of what we are and what we do and how important we are to patient care. And so everything I do, I've done in all honesty, counting this podcast, which goes at the top of the the list. Thank you. There was a couple other interviews that (laughs) the the subordinates, you know, um, (laughs) I have done since becoming president in July. I've been going pretty fast, Chris. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I've done a couple different articles as far as being interviewed for various uh, purposes. I've had a nice little interview that actually just came out last week from uh, a dot com called uh, oh, medicalschools.com, I believe is what it is. Don't quote me on that one. I can't remember the exact name of it, where I just gave a couple quotes to a young man that had called and wanted to know some more information about Surge Tech and what we do. Yeah. <laughs> I've done various phone calls locally. Uh, we had a article come out that the local TV channel got a hold of, and they gave me a call and wanted to do further interviews. And so if someone will listen to us, I will be happy to be that voice. Awesome. And so anyone that even starts to remotely act like they're interested, they get to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I think that's why I teach medical terminology and pharmacology and pathophysiology, because I'm constantly trying to scalp students from other programs. Absolutely. Yeah, especially, oh, you want to be hands-on? Like, oh. You're in the wrong field, you know. Um, I got an idea for you. Yeah, <laughs> I just I completely agree. So it's such a noble and amazing and needed profession, and you know our biggest kind of thorn in our side is that all of our amazing patients are unconscious. So yes. no our best one, voice right? Was no not awake. Right? Nobody knows what we were doing. Um, and so I, I think that that's amazing. You know, what's second on your list? Like outside of just telling people who the heck we are, what else? I would say basically growing the state assemblies. Cause I believe that's where the real future is. Mm-hmm. I think the, uh, education programs in general, anything I can do to promote educators to help grow these things. And so, um, one of my ideas is we're going to get out to state assemblies as this board goes. 
I will be visiting a lot of state assemblies. I want to get out there. I want to talk. I want to hear these people's concerns. I want to deal with them. I want to give them a reason to be excited about the future. Yeah. I want to kind of promote the membership, the certification. Um, really want to support legislation. Definitely. Want to push that associate's degree. It's been years that we've the only one standing in the room that don't have a degree. Yeah. And so I think if we want the credibility and hopefully, and sometimes it becomes a, you build it and they will come type thing. Mm -hmm. Hopefully as we continue to promote certification and the associate's degree, we will get some more money for what we do for a living. I don't think anybody would be upset with getting paid a little more equality compared to those that we work with. Completely agree. And so I, I, and a lot of people have come to me, well, you need to come and talk to them about paying us more. Well, how about we need to talk about how we improve what we do and have more respect for our profession and our education, and then they will pay more. Yeah. And yeah. so I've always believed if you carry yourself like you're a minimum wage worker, you'll be a minimum wage worker. If you carry yourself like you're a million dollars, then you'll be a million dollar worker. And so I want us to carry that attitude into the idea that we've worked hard to get here and to have the skill set we have. And so I really want to promote all that, not only to our members, but to the public. Well, and so with the, you know, with the new curriculum coming out soon and, um, and the core curriculum changes that are in public comment now, like, how do you see your relationship with ARC and MBSTSA and, you know, our alphabet soup of, um, of leadership? <laughs> like, what, uh, I if mean, we this is it. with more acronyms. <laughs> well, you know, leave it to education. I'm sure we could. But, um, but, like, what, I guess, how do you see that relationship, especially in the midst of all of these changes and improvements and um, to not just how we teach and what we teach, but also our, our degree level? I think that, uh, first of all, all three of those organizations need to work very well collaboratively together. Mm -hmm. I think we need to help support the ARC-STSA with regard to their push for the associate's degree. We need to really work with EMB on some of the CE offerings and what we can do to better prepare the students for the certification exam. I think... um, None of this, it's like a three-legged bar stool. (laughs) We have to have all three legs or we're going to fall over. And somebody's going to videotape it. Absolutely. And then it's on (laughs) Facebook and it will go viral because it will be quite the show. Absolutely. And so I have already, like I said, I took over the position in July, end of July. I've had meetings with the ARC. I've had some meetings with some of the boards for both the ARC and uh, MB. And I'm really pushing for more collaborative, more co-sponsored activities, mm-hmm. more things to celebrate. For instance, um, going into the Educators Conference in February. That's 25 years we've been catering to and trying to help and promote education and surgical technology. That's a reason to celebrate as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And it's in Vegas. So, Oh, Planet Hollywood won't be the same. Well, never is. Yes. (laughs) We normally leave a footprint. (laughs) 
wherever we go. I think Vegas is still recovering from our national conference. So <laughs> I'm just really excited to go back here in a couple of months. Absolutely. No, I think, and I think uh, as my role with AST at that point, I want to make that a conference that educators leave and say, man, they care. Yeah. They really support what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish as the programs back into all of our home states and all into the small cities there in our home states. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to make it a quality, quality event so that educators are always looking and saying, hey, the AST is going the right way. Yeah. The AST has been taking care of us for years, and they just keep trying to do more. And so I definitely want to kind of push that idea, especially to our educators, because I think that's really where a lot of our growth begins, is them educate their students to what we are yeah. and why we are. Well, and I think that, you know, that is like that is the future. I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, right? But our students oh, are the future of our program, you know? Um, bada bing, but it, I mean, it's true, you know, some of us are getting around here and, and, uh, and we won't be doing this, you know, forever. And so I think that we do need people who will advocate for our profession, not just our patients. So, I mean, as cheesy and cliche as it sounds, you know, darn it, it's true. (laughs) Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. And being an educator and a practitioner, I can relate to both sides of it because, not to be rude to our three-legged bar stool, but <laughs> if you are a practicing surge tech out in the world, the ARC STSA is not even close to on your radar mm-hmm. because you're you're through the education and accredited par- program part of things. So you don't spend too much time knowing a lot about that, but you're very concerned with your membership organization and your certification. So right. the MBSTSA becomes more of your focus at that point. And I realized when I got into education that ARC STSA going to have to pay attention to those folks. Right. <laughs> As an educator, they're very important. They help steer the boat. Oh my goodness. And, and so uh, it's really interesting when you start looking at it from that point of view, the educators are going to be the ones that know all three of the entities that have a reason for all three of the entities and have some belief in, hopefully, um, seeing as I was a AST member and a CST from Jump Street and have never had a lapse of any kind. I've always supported and done what I could, even when I was not completely involved. Yeah. Obviously, nowadays, I am I would say I'm involved up to my earballs. I was about to say, I think you're completely involved there, Kevin. <laughs> if I get more involved, I guess I'll be sitting in the office in Denver. <laughs> no um, kidding. <laughs> I'm going to ask you I about that next. But yeah. That's going to be a real key. Um, as long as we start getting that awareness out there, I think that if, if in two years when I step back up to the microphone for a possible second term, if I've increased awareness – even on the smallest of inklings, yeah, I'm going to call it a success. Well, and you know, I wonder if our, our if, as our hospitals, um, I think that practicing CSTs need to be also aware of how important their role as a preceptor is in the education of our students. 
because precepting is teaching and they, you know, we, we couldn't do it without them. Our students couldn't sit for the certifying exam without these amazing clinical experiences. And so, you know, having, I think maybe that awareness and that education of what it truly means to be a preceptor, asking three hard questions you know, um, and and challenging the student not to just, uh, you know, apply what they learned in the lab, but also then add to it. And then maybe our working CSTs will also, um, you know, understand more of what it's like to to teach the next generation, because I sure didn't. When I was behind the Mayo, um, I worked for a medical school for forever. And so the last thing I wanted with a med student and, you know, the the resident who thought his uh, stuff didn't stink was a CST <laughs> student. Um, and so, but then I learned like, oh my gosh, it's the ones who are craving knowledge and then they make you passionate again. And, and so it was a really cool experience for me. And I hope that more hospital employees are encouraged to precept. Uh, because it's, uh, you know, we need them as educators. Oh, absolutely. I think the preceptors actually probably make as much, if not more of an impact than the educator Mm -hmm. for the pure sake that they kind of get used to our voice. (laughs) No. But when they start hearing our words in other voices, (laughs) (laughs) they start saying, oh, wow, I can't tell you how many times I've told the students, well, this is what's going to happen. And then they come back the next day and they say, you know, they said exactly <laughs> your words. I said, oh, that's excellent because I made it up. <laughs> I said, yes, I know they say those words. I was there. Right. I walked in the shoes of pretty much other than surgical assisting. I haven't gone into that realm. Yeah. Actually, I was signed up to go to surgical assist school when I got the job at my program now. And oh, so I kind of dropped that one and went on to being an educator. Yeah. But the preceptors are going to be key to all of this. I totally and agree. I think, sadly, it works both ways. Good preceptors can fuel your fire and make you passionate. Mm-hmm. Bad preceptors can give you a bitter taste in your mouth that you can't get out. Oh, yeah. It make you want to go cry in a corner. Absolutely. Yes. I've had both. And so, and I've, I've had both. I've, I've been, uh, I've teased for years. I've been chewed out by some of the best surge techs I've ever met and some of the best doctors I've ever worked with. Absolutely. And every time I didn't make that same mistake twice. Oh, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah. I get accused of having a mom look constantly. And uh, um, even when they, you know, are not my biological children, but um, it's that look, you know, you don't want it twice. So that's, and I preach that in the class that you're allowed to make mistakes. This is life. That's what you do. You just can't make the same one twice. You can't just make the same one (laughs) twice. You better grow from it. Well, so talking about growth, right? Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say like that. What about that grumpy person or the person who hasn't bought into AST that says, I don't know what AST does for me except take my money. Um, I've made the response. I've I've actually responded to one before. That was stupid. And why I even responded in an, in an attempt to quell the, the, um, the porch or the pitchforks, excuse me. But um, I don't know, just in a, I, I mean, 
I don't want you to spend too long on that because I also don't want to give too much time to people who are just jerks. But like, what I don't. What do you say to somebody who says, "What does AST do for me?" I uh, I have approached that a couple of times. Now you won't see me posting on Facebook. That's not. That's okay. I did it for you. It's not You're beyond welcome. me to uh, yeah. PM someone. I'm, I'm not beyond that at all. But I won't go out there on Facebook because exactly like you said, you get into a war of words that they don't understand what we do. Yeah. And so a lot of times I really hammer back to the idea of voice. Mm -hmm. You can go to the top of the mountain by yourself and yell and scream about your pay. But if I bring 45,000 people to the top of that mountain with me, you'll hear me. And so if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And so I often will tell them it's about being a voice. It's about us having a voice as a profession. The CE's wonderful opportunity. The way they track everything for you, wonderful to keep you on path. Definitely. But when it really comes down to it, legislation and having a voice to make change is what the AST is about. We want to preach that idea that as one voice, we can influence quality patient care. We can influence the education of our healthcare providers of the future, of which I try to emphasize that you are concerned about that, even though you don't know it yet, because you will be a patient. Yeah. Very rarely do we get to say, if you'll be a patient, it's when you'll be a patient. True. I've been the patient. <laughs> Me too, dear. I've Me been too. the patient a few times over. Yeah. And so when I uh, approached those folks, I actually had one in particular that I uh, PM'd actually just before conference hmm. and said, I have heard your concerns and I so look forward to you stopping by and talking to me. Yeah, because I cannot explain all that AST has to offer and what this profession has to offer in a blip on your Facebook that you scroll by. Right. If you would like to sit down with me, I will meet with you and I'll give you all the details you can possibly need in the world and why I've been part of it since I was an 18 year old. <laughs> and I PM this one individual and they got a little sassy back. And I said, I would love to talk to you. Here's my number. And they called. And then the next thing you know, they were in front of their hospital administration arguing for certification and membership. Awesome. And then their administration was calling me <laughs> <laughs> and saying, I was told that we needed to talk to you to better understand what role certification and membership plays. Yeah. Had a wonderful meeting with them, basically convinced them to a point that they were uh, not only going to require certification and recommend, strongly recommend membership, but they also wanted to get our opinions on some of their in services awesome. and make sure that they were doing things that would be helpful. They were very much involved with the state assembly as far as offering up their building and helping to cater the gatherings and supply some speakers. And it become a really big momentum for this particular healthcare system that has in excess of 400 uh, techs in their system. And so I look at all those that the, what have you done for me lately, folks, <laughs> and say, give me a moment to tell you. Yeah. Because I think I can convince you that 
um, the things we're doing are helping. And it's sort of like you mentioned earlier, I refer to them as the nomads. The nomads, when we the four-year certification cycle that were with us on the first year and the fourth year, but didn't care on the second and third year. Yeah. I want to rail those people in. I don't want the nomads. I think the two-year cycle has actually kind of helped with that. Well, yeah, because it makes it so easy to forget about your CEs <laughs> until that last moment. Agreed. And, and so with the two-year, you really don't have that time. Yeah, that's true. And with the live CE requirement, you have to plan ahead. So absolutely, I agree. Well, hey, I just want to say in the last minute that I have left with you, thank you. Um, I, I, I already knew I liked you, dadgummit, but I also, um, I just, I love getting to know you more and your vision for AST. And, you know, I read an article uh, that your Blue Cross, uh, Bluegrass um, College, the president, um, is it Coffee Acapo? Is Acapo. Acapo. Uh-huh. And he said that you hold your students to the highest standards while showing compassion and providing instruction that prepares them for their careers and that you would be a great asset to the AST leadership. And for that, I um, I couldn't agree more. So um, I thank, thank you. you for taking time out of your day, busy as I know it is, and just uh, thank you for for celebrating National Surge Tech Week and uh I look forward to getting to see you soon in the future. It's strictly my pleasure, Chris. Chris, I couldn't be any happier about promoting our profession. <laughs> awesome. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Scrub Life, a podcast for surgical technology. And a huge thanks to Kevin Craycraft for taking time out of his really busy schedule to be able to chat with me and to share his vision of the future of AST with you all. So with that, please, if you have any questions, if you have episode suggestions or just want to reach out, we can always be reached at the scrublifepodcast.wordpress.com. We can be reached by email at the scrublifepodcast at outlook.com. And of course, follow us on both our Facebook page and our Instagram. So all the social media junk out of the way. Again, Kevin, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. All of you, thank you so much for listening. And I wish all of you a very happy National Surgical Technologist Week. You are absolutely instruments of excellence. You're incredibly important and very necessary. And we couldn't take care of our patients without you. So thank you again. May you be celebrated and even spoiled this week. Have a good night.